0: Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Integrity First Insurance, provider of Erie Insurance for all your auto, home, life, and business insurance needs. More information at 812-269-8897 or com.
1: Bob Zaltzberg. My co-host today is Bento Boutier. We are talking about uh, college enrollment and the future of higher education, and we have three guests joining us on the program today. We have Trudy Weddle, who's the Vice Chair for Enrollment Services and Student Success at Ivy Tech Bloomington. Audrey Williams-June is the News Data Manager at the Chronicle for Higher Education and David Johnson is the IU Bloomington Vice Provost for Enrollment Management. If you want to join our conversation today or you have a question, you can send them in by email to news at org, And you can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Well, thank you all for being here today. As uh, we said in the, the promo before the show began, um, nationwide enrollment is seems to be falling i wanted to ask um audrey williams june from the chronicle for higher education to talk first about this because uh audrey you did a story about this on january 13th and what were your key findings
2: Uh, good afternoon and uh, thanks for having me um Throughout the pandemic, I've been writing about the uh, enrollment data collected by the National Student Clearinghouse Research Center, and it's just a way to shed some light on what is going on with enrollment nationally. And the story that I wrote uh, recently is um, unfortunately the same story that I've been writing throughout the pandemic, and that is that enrollment is down. Um, their most recent enrollment report report was released last month, and that was basically a final tally of what happened with enrollment in fall of twenty one. And so enrollment overall, this is, you know, every type of institution uh, in higher education was down just under 3% in fall 2021, and that's from, you know, the prior fall. And so that's almost 500,000 students that were missing from higher education in the fall. And when you zoom in on undergraduate enrollment, of course, um, that was down by 3.1%. And again, that's at every type of institution. So your public institutions, your private ones, your for-profits, four-year, two-year undergraduate enrollment um, was down at all of those. And then when you look at the pandemic as a whole, Um, When it comes to undergraduate enrollment since 2019, um, it's down more than a million students. So clearly that kind of decline is concerning, and it shows just how severely the pandemic has affected higher education as a whole. Um, You will also see in the data that students um, across all racial and ethnic groups, um, plus international students, enrollment is down there. Um, as well. So the trend um, since the beginning has been enrollment is down and affects uh, various types of students and various types of institutions differently. But the top line uh, message is still the same.
1: Okay, thank you for for outlining this uh, conversation for us. Uh, David Johnson from IU, the the IU Bloomington Vice Provost for Enrollment Management. Um, How does that uh, how does that data apply to IU? Are we consistent with what we're seeing around the nation?
3: Yeah, good good afternoon, Bob and Venta. Good to be here with you. Um, and uh, certainly, I remember um, uh, seeing those data from the uh, National Student Clearinghouse, and, um, and and that is true. Overall, uh, enrollment is is down, and that is a concerning point. And I, I would point to. Um, but that's not the case everywhere, and at all institutions, uh, specific institutions, right? And those are trends nationally, and Audra pointed those out. Um, I, I, I would say that um, it has been an uneven um, pandemic and an uneven recession, and therefore, uh, some student uh, groups have been disproportionately impacted, for sure. I mean, through through the. Uh, Pandemic, we we saw continued um, increase enrollment of residents uh, enrolling at IU Bloomington, um, you know, choosing to stay closer to home, perhaps, um, and and we did have a bit of a challenge with our non-resident population in the fall of 2020, but that rebounded significantly in the fall of 2021 uh, as we worked to come out of the pandemic. Um, still not there quite yet, right? But um, so yes, I I think, and I would say that While we look at the national data um, and data from other organizations like the Western Interstate Commission on Higher Education that points to high school graduates in in future years, uh, we expect that cliff that we all talk about in in higher ed to happen in 2026, and the pandemic just accelerated that um, and and really caused uh, challenging issues for um uh, students whose whose families were impacted in health ways or economic ways around uh, the um the uh impact of the pandemic we kind of talk about three impacts of that we talk about the economic piece that i mentioned the viral piece and then the social justice piece which has played out um across the nation and continues to do so in in hopefully positive ways, but also in some very negative uh, ways where um, still still injustices um, exist. So those are the challenges that we kind of see shaping this.
1: Overall, was the uh, fall 2021 enrollment down on on the Bloomington campus?
3: No. So specifically for Bloomington, we were up. We had a record beginner class, and so we were very pleased uh, with that and um, continued strong uh, enrollment uh, with um, our continuing students. And so we, we were very pleased with, um, you know, enrollment. Um, but that is because we put a number of things in place to try to support students around uh, access and around affordability and um, student engagement and the student experience, all leading hopefully to student success. Uh, we did see a bit of a challenge on our retention from 2020 to 2021, but that has rebounded now um, because uh, you know the, uh, the challenges of the pandemic were significantly real for those populations that I, I mentioned. But we have been able to. Um, Whether that, because I think we have the um, access programs in place and then the affordability, the financial aid programs in place to support students. And I know that not all institutions are um, uh, as fortunate um, to have those um, uh, uh, support mechanisms in place for students. And even if they do, they still may face challenges.
1: Okay, well, we'll get more into some of those mechanisms uh, later in the program. Trudy Weddle, what about uh, Ivy Tech?
4: Yeah, good afternoon, everyone, and thank you so much for having me. Um, Audrey really alluded to this when she was uh, providing her synopsis of research that she's done um, as it relates to national trends and noting that, you know, that's really looking at all institutions, um, but we also know that community colleges have really been hit uh, the hardest throughout this pandemic with national community college enrollment falling roughly uh, over 10% from the fall of 2019 for the, to the fall of 2020. And for us as an institution statewide, um, we, sh- we actually fell just shy of 7%, so just 3% less than the national average. Um, and we continue to, to see enrollment declines across the state. Uh, the pandemic has really continued to impact our enrollment um, you know there's there's the new variants of the coronavirus that have emerged that contribute to this. Additionally, we have a, a strong economy with low unemployment rates contributing to to current lower enrollment for us across the state as well.
5: All right Benta yeah, um, so Audrey, I wanted to know as far as enrollment rates go, are these students? only students who are opting not to come and enroll, or how many of these are students opting not to complete their degrees that they're already enrolled in? Um,
2: So that's an interesting question. So this um, particular um, data set looks at um, enrollment numbers from one year to the next. But I think one of the challenges here is knowing what caused people not to come. If, If i I think that's what you're asking. And that's one of the things that I've been grappling with as a reporter. When I see these numbers down, are these people that, um, w- what is the decision that they made? Is this a gap year? Is this um, people who um, decided, you know, maybe this is not going to be the college experience that I want, and I'm going to uh, get into the workforce. Um, the nuance there um, is not is not evident. You don't You don't have the information for that. What I can say um, in a different report about um, dropouts, and this is just tracking freshmen uh, who come, as that's an important thing. Uh, I think most people in the call um, will agree that freshman retention is something that most colleges ca- pay attention to. Um, when you look at fall 2019, and there were 200, uh, 2.6 million students who started college then, and 26% of them didn't come back the next year, according to this uh, National Student Clearinghouse Research Center's data. And so um, that was an increase of two percentage points over the previous year. And that's the highest share of students um, not returning for their sophomore year since 2012. So some of that gets at what you're um, asking about, because these are people who were in college already before the pandemic and then Decided, you know, I'm not going to come back. But that is one of the things that is tough to suss out, at least um, from my end, because I don't have, you know, this granular data for in individual institutions to figure out what is actually happening underneath the surface about why students are not um, enrolled. David, Trudy, do you have any
5: thoughts on that?
3: Well, I would just add that um, I think that when the pandemic happened, there were two things that we saw. We saw a, a for 2020, a very challenging yield uh, spring where we had to shift to virtual and everyone you know did as we shut down in March of, of 2020 from being in person to being virtual. Um, and so that we, we did have a small decline in st- students starting, I think, to Bento's uh, question about beginners. Uh, freshmen is what we call beginners. Yet we had in the fall of 2020, we had a strong uh, continuing student enrollment because if you think about it, it's, well, it's a pandemic. I'm going to just try to buckle it down and and be in school and get get, uh, my education and complete. So we had a strong uh, number of returners. As this went on, um, then some of those people who stuck with us Beginners or continuing students throughout 2020, um, perhaps then said, okay, this was a lot. Virtual, everything virtual was a lot. And then that it continued to exacerbate some of the retention numbers, whether that's from beginners or from continuing students. Um, And at least that's kind of the example that we have seen. But uh, overall, we've seen strong enrollment. Um, And again, it's part of that unevenness and it and it plays out among different populations of students. But it also plays out, Okay, I'm going to start, but then um, I'm going to maybe not continue because this was too much and I'll come back to it. Um, That coming back to it, we'll see. Right. We'll see. Do students uh, rebound but in general, we had very strong undergraduate enrollment this fall, um, and so we're pleased with that. And we have seen some early indications of rebounding, even from fall to spring uh, semester, um, where we had some challenges last year from fall to spring. We've seen this year um, good good re- return uh, on that.
1: David, if I could follow up on that, just to get a, lo- a little bit of a clarification, because I'm... I'm curious about, um, I think that, I think what you were talking about is, is students that would finish and that semester and say, wow, this is too much. So I'm going to take a semester off. Or are you talking about students who started the semester and then just, you know, six weeks in, we're like, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to withdraw.
3: Yeah, no. And I'm really talking more longer term view than that. I'm talking about, um, a, uh, a year to year, um, that So our continuing students said, yes, I'm going to come back in the fall of 20. We had a s- smaller group of freshmen in 2020 who just said, well, I, I think this you know, quite um, isn't for me. It, it was hard- harder for us to yield students particularly we have a large mix of non-residents. We actually had more residents in our class. It was our non-resident population students from other states um, and other countries who, when a pandemic, right, uh, my parents are going to send me across the country or across the globe. I can't even get there across the globe. So uh, uh, to summarize, we had a reduction in Uh, beginners slightly, we have rebounded, um, and then we had strong continuing student enrollment, but then some of those continuing students the next year said, I'm going to step back. As you said, Bob, this is a bit challenging for me, Um, and we will see. We are watching it closely. We are tracking uh, all of these uh, cohorts of students.
1: Okay. Uh, Trudy Weddle, how do you you approach this at Ivy Tech? You know, as you said, community colleges are are hit perhaps a little bit harder than, than others. Uh, What are you doing to try to get those numbers up?
4: Yeah, thank you. Um, I first wanted to, to thank David. I think he did a really nice job summarizing that traditional student population and what we've seen over the last couple of years. Um, And then when you think about the community college sector, where we are primarily uh, serving the non-traditional student, we've faced some of our own unique challenges with those continuing students uh, that David mentioned there, you know, with IU. Uh, at Ivy Tech for us, the continuing student population it was probably our most challenged population throughout this pandemic because their worlds were turned upside down. Um, a lot of them have, you know, children at home. And so with, when schools went completely virtual, they, they had to make decisions on, on things in life that really weren't there prior to the pandemic started that have continued to to be something they've had to work through and has continued to impact our overall enrollment. Um, But some things that we've done to respond uh, to the enrollment declines, uh, in the last year, we've we've launched Ivy Plus, which includes a tuition freeze and then allows students to take free classes after 12 credits and also includes free textbooks. So Ivy Plus, uh, that free Free textbook requirement um, is wonderful because students have their textbooks on day one. So the IV Plus tuition helps our students graduate faster and reduces overall cost for their edu- education. Uh, in the fall term alone, just to kind of put it in perspective, the college ensured that over 55,000 students across the state were equipped with their required textbooks at no cost to them, which has been really great. Something else I think we've been really... Um, flexible in terms of being able to pivot uh, now more than ever to really meet students where they are through the various ways we offer our classes. So from in-person, online, to a combination of something in between, uh, we really have positioned ourselves in a way uh, that helps make pursuing education possible, regardless of what people may have going on. And like I mentioned, they definitely have more going on now than we've ever seen in the past. And then I think um, something else that's worth noting is we are planning to address the um, state's nursing shortage by expanding our nursing program throughout the state. And we're really well positioned to do this as well, with over 90% of our graduates staying in the state um, in the communities in which they already live. And we are the largest associate degree nursing program in the nation. Uh, The last thing I would probably add is uh, we no longer withhold transcripts from students. Uh, we are allowing students to have access to their transcripts, uh, regardless of whether they owe us money or anything like that, so that they can continue their education and complete their degrees, whether that's through Ivy Tech or another one of the state's higher education institutions. And I think that really removes a barrier that's been a long-term barrier um, that, you know, prevents students from career advancement. Uh, It also may improve the college's potential for getting prospects, you know, uh, students that have outstanding balances that aren't able to access transcripts, and then just making it easier for students to provide documentation to employers of their knowledge and skills that they have um, so that they can, you know, make more money and improve their overall lives.
1: We're talking about uh, college enrollment and the future of higher education. On noon edition today, we have Three expert voices with us, Trudy Weddle, the Vice Chair of Enrollment Services and Student Success at Ivy Tech Bloomington, David Johnson, IU Bloomington Vice Provost for Enrollment Management, and Audrey Williams-June, the News Data Manager for the Chronicle for Higher Education. If you have questions or comments and want to join the conversation, send them to news at indianapublicmedia.org. Or you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition and you can send us questions there. Audrey, I wanted to dig into these numbers a a little bit more. I know, you know, it was there were mm, there were declines across the board. Uh, You mentioned a couple of places that were hit particularly hard before. But could you get dig into these numbers a little bit and tell us uh, what what some of the most interesting um, data, what, what some of the most interesting numbers were to you?
2: Um, one of the things that I um, found particularly interesting is that um, before the pandemic, uh, enrollment of Hispanic students was on the rise. Um, that was very much trending upward, and then with the pandemic, um, because their numbers, along with pretty much every other racial and ethnic group, were going uh, went down. Um, it was, it was kind of a new thing to see an upward trend, you know, kind of take a dive like that. Um, and again, this is nationally. So there are obviously individual institutions that are, are not seeing that. Um, so when you um, look at the, break the groups apart, Native American enrollment um, fell 15.2%. And then Black students were down 12%. Asian students, 5.6%. White students were down 11.7%. And um, international students as well, which many colleges um, depend on um, for part of their, it's a good chunk of their enrollment in some places. The pandemic um, obviously uh, threw them for a loop because they weren't able to even get here to go to school, um, were down 17.1%. So you're looking at some of these groups Um, where they have been making some progress as far as enrollment. And then you're just seeing that in, you know, one academic year, and then a a second one um, go down. Uh, There was a bright spot that was interesting this particular time uh, in fall of 2021, where um, freshman enrollment actually stabilized. And so early on in the in the pandemic there was again a lot of attention paid to first-time students and are they going to actually show up are they going to come and so um the decline there was um double digits uh at some points during the pandemic and so in fall of 2021 uh the numbers showed that it was up. So this is very tiny, obviously, but it's a number that's not down. And so um, that growth basically came from four-year private nonprofit colleges adding like a little short of 12,000 students to, you know, the pool that they're they're tracking at the clearinghouse. Um, Also, um, community colleges obviously had seen freshman student numbers decline, but in fall 2021, the data shows that their enrollment, uh, college, community college freshman enrollment also went up So that's about 3,000 students. So I'm really interested in what's happening there. And again, it's not everywhere, but there are some places where it's happening, obviously, for this number to to just start to creep up, because I'm curious about um, who these students are. One of the things that um, you typically get to write about when um, there's a recession that takes place um, is that at some point during the recession, people return to or go to college to try to retool their skills, you know, get a different skill set, et cetera, so they can uh, go back into the workforce. And I haven't written that story. No one's written that story. And because that hasn't really happened. And so, again, I'm kind of curious about who are these, you know, this little small group of students that caused this increase in first-time students at um, community colleges on a national level. Who are they? Um, like kind of what's their story? Um, So I would say with the the demographic groups, I was most interested in that mainly um, because these are, um, especially Black, Hispanic, Native American students, um, there's been, you know, the narrative has been that these are people who are not students who are not um, a part, they're, they're not going to college at rates that people um, are really, have been really kind of pushing to grow these these groups in their, at, at their colleges. And so to just kind of see that derailed in this way um, was very uh, disconcerting. So I'm, I'm really hoping that these numbers turn around.
5: What kinds of degrees are people pursuing
2: right now? Has that changed at all in the last couple of years? Um, I, it's not clear to me from the data that I have that that's changed. But what I can say is that consistently throughout the pandemic, graduate enrollment has been up 3%, 3.6%, 4%. And again, this is um, every semester the Clearinghouse is doing this. So fall of 20, spring of 21, et cetera, et cetera. And that's always been up. Um, I can't quite figure that out um, why that's happening. And another one is um, post-baccalaureate certificates have been up um, pretty consistently throughout the pandemic. Um, and again, I'm not sure what's behind that. It, it's possible that colleges are in, um, really putting in place programs to to, uh, to attract students who are looking for these these um, types of degrees, but I don't have any data on why that is. Just that those two pockets of, of um, degrees are up, certificates are up.
5: Okay, and then this is a little bit more Indiana specific, but the commissioner on higher education said that Indiana had been most drastically affected of all our states in seeing declines. Are there numbers to support that?
2: Um, there are numbers. The, the Clearhouse does tracks um, data by state. Um, one of the, but I, I don't know, I guess it depends on what you would call drastic because what I often find is that people are using different data sets to um, arrive at you know, some of the numbers that they have. Um, in fall of 2019, enrollment across the state of Indiana, um, was down 2%, and then those declines continued in fall of 20 uh, at, 3.6, at 3.6%, and then fall of 2021 at 4%. So again, this is across the board, all the institutions in Indiana. And um, it's definitely worse, right, than that 2% from in fall of 2019. Um, but I have not seen anything double digit. Um, I, I'm not aware of that. That's what I would probably consider drastic. But it's definitely down.
1: David, I wanted to follow up with you about some of the things that Audrey said uh, to Bento's question about different areas of enrollment. Are you seeing certain um, kinds of students that are coming back? I mean, students that want to go to Kelly or students want to go to Jacobs or, you know, can you track where where our new students are, are, are deciding that they want to study?
3: Yeah. And if I, Bob, I will talk about the academic side of that, but could I cast back a little bit to oh, yeah, the demographic, sure. demographic piece as well? Um, mm-hmm. Because uh, you know, we have changing demographics um, in our country as we are well aware of um, and that um, we have continued to see um, continued growth and enrollment in underrepresented students or historically marginalized students. We have, um, uh, uh, had continued growth um, in in these populations. We've had record upon record uh, for underrepresented students, um, and um, and and within those subsets of uh, students, um, you, you know, I think uh, Audrey spoke about um, Hispanic students, and we've had significant growth because that is a growing population. This year in Indiana, in the state of Indiana, in high school students. Um, Hispanic students became the the largest uh, minority population of high school uh, graduates in Indiana. Um, and this year in the country, um, uh, minority students uh, became the majority of high school graduates in the country. Um, it, won't, it will not be until 2025 when we see underrepresented uh, minority students. And so when I say that, I mean, you know, um, that the, um, the students who have been historically marginalized in higher ed, that is when they become the majority um, in 2025. So these changing demographics we've been watching, we've been watching these trends. We've been um, creating programs back in 2015. We created a strategy to focus on uh, outreach. And it was our 6C strategy, which speaks to community-based organization outreach, counselors, uh, community college, and, and certainly working with Trudy and her colleagues, uh, we, we have our Hoosier Link program that we can talk more about. Uh, the communications uh, camps, competitions, and churches and faith-based groups. So those kind of some six Cs outreach, and really trying to target. Um, and we really we're we're really focusing this in now on um, what we're we're calling identity. Um, uh, recruitment and helping to to recruit students based on who they are and where they're coming from. So I just wanted to say we have had these increases and we're really proud of that. And specifically for African American students, we have a six uh, year high in our beginner cohort. Um, there's still more work to be done. Absolutely, we need to continue to focus on the growth and support of all of our students, particularly historically marginalized students. But we're proud of the work that has been done, and we look forward to to the future work ahead, because we know who our students will be. And again, I I want to restate, this is about access. This is about affordability and then the students experience um, at our institution or any institution. Now, I want to pivot real quickly over to um, the point about what are people studying and 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 we saw so interesting that a, a pandemic uh creates interest right in certain fields. we saw a significant growth in the health uh field health health sciences um and and public health was significantly lifted um in this pandemic continued and strong growth um interest in in the in the school of business um and continued growth and interest in um, a specific like pre pre-health programs like biology, uh, biochemistry, and neuroscience. So we continue to see growth there. And we really saw growth across all of our programs um, as students come to discover and explore their options at, at, at IU. So I, I, I think um, where we're working to position ourselves is to help students really understand the value proposition that IU has to offer them, and I think that's something you might want to unpack uh, in the conversation, perhaps for all of us, is that's so important, is what, what do we offer students? And um, for some, that's a certain kind of major. For some, it's a different uh, major, and for some, it's it's the value and, and, and close to home. It is uh, a variety of things, and we need to run full steam ahead to support students um, by calling out what our value propositions are.
1: Well, I think that you sort of alluded to it before, but during the pandemic, you know, the experience of being a college student on a residential campus um, sort of took a hit. So,
3: yes, I mean, absolutely. In the 2020 to 2021 school year, it was on campus, some limited um, activities and involvement of uh, this year has been very robust uh, return to activities um, uh, for students. And, um, you know, we, d- we did some innovative things in that really um, first year of the pandemic. And that we ha- we hosted events outside at, at tents and in amphitheaters in different areas, trying to get students engaged and connected that way and in small groups and um, but still, it, there's, there's nothing like the um, opportunities that uh, uh, normally take place throughout um, the cultural and academic uh, experience on any campus.
1: Trudy Weddle, this is a, a great time to segue to you. You mentioned before the nursing program at Ivy Tech. David Johnson just mentioned public health uh, is, has been on the rise. We had a story uh, on WFIU this week about uh, the shortage of nurses And I know Ivy Tech is working really hard to to meet that shortage and mitigate that shortage. So could you go deeper into what Ivy Tech is doing, trying to um, trying to increase its presence in training nurses?
4: Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so yes, as I had mentioned earlier, we are very well positioned to meet the nursing shortage for the state of Indiana. So just some data points, um, we have 4,300 annual openings for nurses presently, and we have uh, 7% more nurses that will be needed by 2031, which is leaving a gap of 1,350 nursing graduates to meet Indiana's need. And so we have 19 campuses across the state. Uh, with over 1,300 nursing graduates annually, um, mentioned this earlier, we are the largest associate degree nursing program in the nation and more nursing graduates than any other institution in the state. And 90% of our nurses are staying in the communities in which they live in the state, which is also critical um, to our overall healthcare system and our overall economy here in the state of Indiana. And so we are working closely right now um, with our systems office support to really strategize around how this growth is going to take place um, so that we are positioned to have the equipment, the space, the faculty um, to meet this this growth over the next few years. Uh, And right now, uh, working also with legislature to, to make sure that we have what we need in place Um, The cost to increase this enrollment, uh, the equipment, supplies, and faculty, it's really uh, close to $9 million in reoccurring costs over three years. And we know that we're in a position to do this. We are very proud to be in a position to do that. And we're going to increase nursing admission by 600 students per year by 2025. And we are very well positioned to accomplish that.
1: Where do you find the faculty to teach that many more new students?
4: Yes. So there are um, some changes that are being worked through right now with uh, House Bill 1003, I believe, um, to allow us some flexibility as it relates to the faculty that will be able to teach um, our courses. And so with that change that's going to potentially be coming, that will help us to increase uh, the faculty that we will have access to.
1: What, What would that change be?
4: Um, if and I don't have the the bill in front of me to okay. speak directly to that, so I apologize, but I do no believe, worries. yeah, I do believe that it would allow us to have um, more adjunct faculty than what we are currently allowed to have um, versus full time faculty. I believe right now there are some nuances as it relates to full time faculty requirements and nursing programs across the state.
1: Okay, I want to remind you if you have questions about uh, higher education and about the the uh, declines that we've seen in college enrollment around the country uh in particular uh you can send us your questions to news at indiana org, and you can follow us at on twitter at noon edition you can send us questions there like benta has a question
5: yeah and this is for any of you three who'd like to answer but at the 2022 state of higher education Address this week one of the things the commissioner cited as a top reason people were opting out of a degree program was perception of relevance to them getting a job but then there have been multiple economic studies showing that the demand for degrees is up by I think it's eight percent in Indiana um, job listings and so I'm just wondering how you're communicating to prospective students, the relevance of a degree. Is there any challenge doing that?
1: David, you want to try that first?
3: Sure. Um, I, I, I'm happy to do so. And that's a great question. Um, but I, I believe that um, it is hugely important that all institutions, uh, lift up their value proposition. And we are doing this by focusing, um, particularly centering our work, um, around, um, health and, and business and very focused on both of those along with all the other, um, programs and assets at at IU. And, but really making sure that we, uh, have diversified value propositions for each of our programs and our schools. And so we have kind of worked with our um, marketing and communications group to work with each of the schools to really do a deep dive on the data to interview students. So it's a qualitative and quantitative analysis to really understand what each school's uh, value proposition is and to hear from our students what they believe the value proposition is and where we could do better. So I think That, you know, there's nothing like uh, hearing from our current students that would help us position where we are and what we're doing for future uh, student enrollment. Uh, And I think that's critical. Um, And I thought uh, Teresa Lover's point was well taken. Um, that we need to lift up our value proposition. We need to uh, promote our access, um, and and how affordable are we? And and I just wanted to point out another collaboration that we have um, with Ivy Tech that you know is is I think a, gra- a great one, and that is our College Advising Corps program, which is a national program, and we were the first in the state of Indiana to have College Advising Corps, and, and it's a program where we place. Recent graduates, so these are near peers, uh, into high schools. And so we're at two um, high schools in the Indianapolis area and four rural schools in southern Indiana. So we just have launched this as our third year um, and, and we're building this. We've put out a grant um, to try to get more funding for this. But I want to shout out here and, and share the collaborative approach with Ivy Tech because Ivy Tech uh, supports this through. Uh, funding along with the Bloomington Community Foundation uh, and ROI, the Regional Opportunity Initiative, um, and the Center for Rural Engagement. So it's a very collaborative effort. And I believe for us to show our value proposition in the future, we will need to be innovative in terms of collaboration and new initiatives and new programs. We cannot continue to do the same thing and say, oh, these are wonderful programs and they will Flock to us, we have to innovate. And I'll just lastly say innovation on the academic side is the opportunity for certificates and um, the opportunity for students to have, um, you know, multiple minors and majors and truly the, the space, and this speaks to healthcare particularly is interdisciplinary, um, but where you have nursing uh, and, and then you have uh, speech language uh, and hearing science, connecting and collaborating with social work. Um, and, and I think in our new academic health sciences, Uh, Center, the Regional Academic Health Sciences Center here in Bloomington, that's going to be particularly innovative and exciting for for students and really will create a diversified value proposition for them. So it has to be more than marketing, it has to be deep in terms of the academic opportunities that we're we're providing.
5: Has your acceptance rate changed at all um, through the pandemic? Have you increased it or...?
3: Yeah, you know, uh Benta, that's a great point. And so, um as we were uh looking to uh, finalize the class for the fall of 20 um we did accept more students for the fall of 20 uh 2020 because um you know, it was such an uncertain time and um and and we ended up with a slightly um a slightly smaller class uh, because of the pandemic, but um we we did work to try to admit more students to support their enrollment and to support our enrollment uh, goals, and and then this past year to rebound out of the pandemic for the fall of 2021, we continued to um, admit more students. I'm really proud to say too, you know, there's a numerator and a denominator there, right, uh, Audrey, as a data person clearly knows, um, and. I'm proud that we've had continued growth in our applications, and we we just this past week uh, crossed a record number of applications again um, uh, over last year's final record, and so um, that helps us cast the net wide to get students interested in the institution um, to see where they want to go, Um, and then, of course, we are uh, shaping that class and working um, and so as I think about the 2022 co- cohort, Benta, we are looking to uh, have a very similar size class that we had this past fall to kind of steady uh, the enrollment and and to provide a phenomenal experience for those students. You know, I, I will also maybe end this uh, comment here by saying I often say that there's there's a lot of competition out there among institutions, you know, in public, private, two year, four year, large and small Religious affiliated and et cetera, and so there 's a lot of competition and there even though we have a shrinking number of students happening in twenty twenty six and 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 even though we have fewer students even in a growing number of high school graduates choosing to go to college in the state of Indiana, there still are um, you know large numbers of students who are looking to go to college. And I think um, it, it's a matter of helping students have options because I always say there's a little tiny factor called student choice that factors into all of our data science and all of our data analysis. And Trudy and I live this every, every year, right? That um, we do all this work and our teams do this great work and, and rely on the science, but then there's the art side of it and that's the student decision on where they choose to go. And that can ebb and flow based on student trends and behaviors that we try to understand so we understand where our targets are heading. So I hope that helps, Penta. There's
1: a lot to unpack there and I have a couple of follow-ups, one for Audrey and one for Trudy. I'm going to start with Audrey and just ask about this value proposition that, that David was talking about and has talked about uh, quite a bit today. Are, when you look at national data, have you or any of your colleagues studied this idea that people see less value in a four-year college degree than they previously did?
2: Um, I have not written specifically about that, um, but my colleagues have. Um, it's interesting that we're talking about this because I feel like more than ever before, this is a question that's being raised, right? Is college worth it? Um, and there, it seems like any number of people are trying to answer this question in some way. Um, I just wrote a story about the new college uh, scorecard data. You know, It's updated to add different things that are, are, you know, it's designed to help you kind of answer this question about fit and affordability and where's the best place for you. And um, it is a question that I think people are continuously asking. And at the Chronicle, we're, you know, talking to various experts and trying to really follow this line of questioning um as it um, as it goes along i think it's being asked much more during the pandemic um, i can't quite think of the name of the think tank that kind of surveyed students throughout the pandemic and one of the questions that they asked them at different points during the pandemic was you know do you think your college uh degree is worth it or is going to college worth it something like that and um it was very interesting to see that that the, the share of students who agreed with that statement over time just kept increasing. You know, they asked in the fall, maybe in December. And then I think just before the school year ended. Um, and this was all in, in the 2021 school year, if I remember correctly. Um, so it is very much a question, um, that lots of people are a- are asking. And that I think, um, plenty of reporters at the Chronicle are kind of, you know, exploring that, um, along with them. Um, it, It's something that I am interested in seeing how um, colleges are grappling with that. So I was listening very closely to the things that, you know, David was saying about, you know, this is what we're doing, Um, because I think it's something that colleges are not going to be able to avoid doing. It's just, you're really going to have to make the case um, just because of the times that we're in. I, I think the pandemic, you know, as with many things, just kind of exacerbated having that that value proposition um, about here's why it's important and here's why it's important or this is the best place for you uh, to attend.
1: Thank you. Um, Trudy, my question for you is um, I can remember writing many editorials uh, back in the day about Ivy Tech and one of the strengths of Ivy Tech was how nimble it was to be able to develop a new program for some um, needed area, whether it was hospitality when French Lick was going strong or um, um, what radiology when when we had the MPRI here in town. And I just wondered about about that. Have you created new programs and how how much time does it take to to try to fill those niches? Is that is are you as nimble as you always were?
4: That's a great question, Bob. Thank you. And I, th- I think the answer to that is yes. Uh, we continue to be in a position that allows us to, to quickly be able to uh, react to, to things that are going on in our in the in the service areas in the counties that we serve. And so, uh, for example, um, we have a whole non-credit side of the house where we partner with um, employers to offer training for their employees. Uh, and we You know, we take time going into the industry and talking to them about what those needs are and then developing training plans uh, that align with exactly what they're wanting. And those types of things are happening every day. And we continue to be in an excellent position to do that. In addition, we've added recently uh, entrepreneurship certificate and uh, actually another school, uh, the School of Entrepreneurship. We've recently done that. We've teamed up with RISE, which is Regional Innovation and Startup Education um, for the entrepreneurship certificate. Um, That's really a three-course program that provides tools that some would need for a successful startup in as little as two semesters. And we know we've seen a lot of of startups in the last couple of years um, as a result of the, the pandemic. And then with the new School of Entrepreneurship and Innovation, that's really a new opportunity for students in the state of Indiana who want to start a business or learn to run a business more effectively. And we are already currently running this program in Indianapolis, Bloomington, South Bend, and Fort Wayne. And we're rolling that out to a few additional campuses this upcoming fall as well. So I think that, yes, the answer is yes. We continue to be in a, a position where we are able to respond to the demands of the communities in which we serve the other thing I wanted to add, and, and David and Audrey both hit on this really well, but we, we are also working on that value proposition, right? We do have to do a much better job than we've done in the past to highlight the outcomes. You know, what can people expect if they come to us and complete a certificate, a technical certificate, an associate degree? What do those outcomes look like? What do job opportunities look like in the communities in which they live? And you'll, you'll definitely be seeing that from us as an institution. Um, it, it's I mean, honestly, we've already started to shift how we we're sharing our story and we have to do a better job um, at being transparent and really highlighting. We have a lot of great things to offer and we have a lot of very positive outcomes. I just don't think we've done a great job historically of of sharing the, those things. So.
1: All right. We have about three minutes to go in the program. David Johnson, you talked about uh, competition um, and how there, there still are a lot of people wanting to, to uh, go to, to college these days and competition, both IU and Purdue reported increased enrollment this year. and you know I'm going to ask you that, that uh, question I can't resist asking. I mean, how much competition do you have with Purdue for uh, attracting students?
3: Uh, Sure, we we look at the National Student Clearinghouse data, as I'm sure they do too, and see where students go that we admitted and where students choose to go, because we know um, on average, I'll speak to um, to this kind of on a national scene that students apply to on average about ten different institutions, Um, and that's kind of crept up over the years with Common App and the ease of being able to apply to multiple institutions, and we we appreciate that because we we know we won't admit and we can't take all students and that apply to us and so it's good that they have options. And so we enroll students that applied uh, to to Purdue and they choose to come to us and they enroll some as well. Um, But I will say and I'm proud to say here on this call that we continue to enroll more uh, Indiana residents uh, than in our beginner cohort than any other institution in the state. and so we're, we're proud that Indiana University um, is our name and Indiana uh, students enroll here at a larger percentage than our non-resident students um, and and more than any other institution in the state year after year in our beginner cohort. This year we had uh, 5,142 uh, students from the state of Indiana um, out of our 9,482 uh, beginner um, students. So um, yes, it's, it's super competitive um, across the country. And even in our state, we are blessed, as we often say, to have two Big Ten institutions, two AAU research institutions in our state. Um, but also um, we know that that creates um, additional competition. Um, but I, I, that's why I just returned to the point about the value proposition and students' choice and where students want to go. Ultimately, it's their decision on where they want to go. We just want to provide that opportunity for them. And quickly,
1: um, with international students, and Audrey mentioned the international numbers, I know that IU and probably a lot of universities around the country, international numbers started to go down a bit when uh, President Trump was elected. And uh, so 2016, has there been a rebound? Um, uh, Not
3: quite. White because of the pandemic, um we are seeing some rebound this year that is looking very optimistic and positive, but not back to pre two thousand sixteen Um, levels. Um, And I will also say you you mentioned maybe one factor in terms of the politics, but we saw this well before 2016, as uh, students from South Korea were our largest for a number of years prior to 2010. Uh, From South Korea, that was the largest number, but then they built up their own institutions, their own universities, and really created their own Um, higher ed environment and so they didn't need to send as many students abroad and of course China is now doing that as well and so that's a great thing for students in China but it also then ultimately impacts um, the the global um, interchange of students um, and our own student population.
1: All right we are out of time I really want to thank all three of our guests today Trudy Weddle vice chair for enrollment services and student success at Ivy Tech David Johnson IU Bloomington, Vice Provost for Enrollment Management. I'm always delighted to have another journalist on the program, Audrey Williams-June, News Data Manager from the Chronicle for Higher Education. For our producers, Benta Boutier and Holden Abshear. For my co-host, Benta, who is also doing double duty today, and engineer John Bailey, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening.
0: Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, Fiber Internet, Streaming TV, Home Security, and Automation in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Integrity First Insurance, provider of Erie Insurance, for all your auto, home, life, and business insurance needs. More information at 812-269-8897 or Services.com and from Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local